What's up? Part three of the 48 Laws of Power. Hopefully the last in the episode. It's going to be split up into two parts. Defensive and offensive methods of defending your power. The first episode was how to gain power. Second episode was how to maintain. And this one finally is how to defend both defensive and offensive. Each one is nine points. I'm going to be starting with defensive. So let's get straight away into this. Law 12. Use selective honesty and generosity to disarm your victim. Selective honesty opens a hole in their armor. A tiny gift will serve the same purpose. So you can reveal some sort of false narrative like saying, oh, you know, I'm, I'm such a sucker for X, Y, Z and do it in such a way that you're not, you're not giving them information upon your knowing, but your opponent will hear it and be like, oh, I'm going to use this against them later. And really you planted that seed intentionally letting them know that you have some sort of weakness, which really isn't a weakness but it's so that you can entrap them and get them to play one direction with them thinking that that's how they can get around you and maneuver the best way to defeat you when in reality it's just a diversion. This goes to an ancient Chinese saying which translates to give before you take. It's just a balancing act, right? When you give somebody a gift, it's... It's just like this little mental realm that opens up. And that's why you see salesmen will like um, hand somebody a product like here, hold this. Look at this. Oh, notice this and give it to them and they hold it or they give them some, you know, upfront thing. They give value upfront where it's like, hey, you know, before, regardless of what you say, I want to give you this five dollar coupon to in and out you know. And then the person will feel somewhat obligation, like, oh, they just gave me this. It's five bucks. That's, you know, a free meal. I'll just, I'll hear them out for five minutes, right? You get your foot in the door. One gift did more for the Greek cause than 10 years of fighting. So all this toil, blood, sweat, the Greeks put up to fight was nothing in comparison to the single gift of this wooden horse. And of course, once your enemies accepted this gift or incorporated this information, whatever it is, they are now at some sort of deficit. The best time to employ this technique is on your first encounter with somebody because otherwise they can just be on edge or they'll know you a bit more and it won't, it won't uh, be received as well. They'll understand that there's something more going on. So if you're going to deceive in this way and defend in this way, it's best to set yourself up from the jump. The reversal here is that if you have a history of deceit, then you kind of call attention to it. And you bring up this paradox where, you know, it's like there's a sort of honor that comes about, but also this chaos of like, oh, he knows that I know that he does this and he just acknowledged it. I don't know if he's going to do it or not now. And even if he does do it, 
he would know that I know that he's doing it. And then it just creates all this confusion. It's like in the parts of the Caribbean where he's like, uh, you know, messing with the general by saying all that crazy stuff. I can't even remember what the line was, but I know that feeling was on the part with the port where he's got that uh, the daughter of the Duke or whatever the hell. Yeah, sort of a interesting one, not super straightforward. The best image for it that you can conjure to have an understanding for the law is the Trojan horse. Next up is Law 14. Poses a friend, work as a spy. Now, this one was in gaining power. And this is also a method of defense because, one, when you gain this information, you become more aware. It's like there's this perk in Fallout 4 you can take where it shows you the buffs and weaknesses that your enemy has. So if you know this certain enemy is weak against... Uh, plasma guns then you can fight them with a plasma gun and you're more likely to win whereas another opponent may you know have full resistance to plasma and you know okay i don't even need to waste any ammo of my plasma i'm just gonna go full you know melee whatever in the same way that giving you more information to work with makes you stronger just from the jump like knowing how to manage things it also helps you to set up later on. Like if you know, okay, this person is weak to plasma, this enemy is, and you don't have any plasma guns, but you're aware that, hey, you know what? This person's kind of neutral with me right now, but I may have to deal with them later. I don't have any plasma, so I should probably get some just for when that day comes or just in case. And so the best way to do this is to just ask indirect questions. Right. And that's to get them to reveal their weaknesses and intentions. So the intention part is important. I just talked about weakness, but intention is key because if I have a certain amount of resources that I can allocate to a fight and I think, okay, I really need position C and my enemy's at position B right now and it looks like they're headed for C, but I really need to get it. So I'm going to spend, you know, 80% of my resources to build up my military. So that way, when we both get to see, we're going to have this big fight and I should be okay. And you end up spending 80% of your resources focusing on just this one thing because you think you're going to have to need it to deal with somebody versus you find out somehow that, oh, they don't care about C at all. They actually need to stay at position B then you don't have to spend 80% of your resources buffing up your military. You can just spend it on economy or social, whatever, and move into position C with very little force because nobody's contesting you, right? So knowing the weaknesses of who you are going to go up against is key, but also knowing their intentions to be able to recognize if you are even going to go up against them. So in that plasma example, it's like, oh, fuck, I I should probably get some plasma because they're weak to plasma and I may have to fight them at some point. Well, guess what? You can finalize whether or not you are or aren't. You can figure out if you may or may not. And so that's the key there. Uh, Allow me quickly to read this side story. Yeah, you know, I highlighted this one, but I'm just not going to include it. I'm going to move on and say the reversal and then go to the next law. So the reversal is that you need to be prepared for people to spy on you. 
and to mitigate or to reroute, to detour, you give out false information. As Winston Churchill said, truth is so precious that she must always be attended by a bodyguard of lies. A shroud of confusion, you know, the fog of war. You need to throw out that smoke grenade in your favor so that your enemy has no idea what's going on. Meanwhile, you have like the infrared scope or vision, whatever, and you can see through the fog. You understand what's going on, right? Next up is Law 21. Play a sucker to catch a sucker. Seem dumber than your mark. So this is really about disarming as well. When you make your victims feel smarter than you are, once they're convinced of this, they're not going to suspect that you have any ulterior motives. If somebody thinks, I need to get to position C, and this is person at position B, and it looks like they're going for C, I should probably build up my military, right? Mm, nah, that guy's an idiot. He doesn't know. He doesn't even know how to do battle. Like, even if he had a million guys, I'd still be able to defeat him. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know how to use his weapons. He doesn't know how to command. He doesn't know how to strategize. Like, look at this guy. Look at the choices he's made up to this point. Or I remember this thing he said to me one time, where the way he acted in this one place makes me think that he's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's doing. So I don't really need to prepare because I'm so smart. I'll be able to handle whatever arises. Meanwhile, that was just a ploy. It was a front and a mask to make them think that that person is not the biggest strategist. Meanwhile, they've got all these things in their reserves just waiting for the battle so that they can flip it. It's like the hustler, pretty much. That's essentially what's happening here. Yeah. By making others feel superior, you put them at ease, you know, smarter, more track, you know, whatever, just superior. One situation where it pays to do the opposite, this is the reversal, is if you seem to have authority and knowledge, people will believe what you say. So if you're trying to get somebody to do something or to ally with you or, you know, follow some sort of command or be intimidated by your moves, you got to do it with such authority and confidence that there's no doubt that you know exactly what you're doing, right? If you advance into the enemy's area in such a way or allow them in in such a way where it's like, wait a minute, this, I, hold on, this doesn't seem right. And then the other person is like, no, yeah, come on, come on in. Let me show you something, come on. Then it's like, oh shit, I need to be weary because this person certainly anticipates something that I'm not um, accounting for and they've got some sort of plan or hidden weapon, you know, that I don't foresee. So I need to watch out. <laughs> it's just about getting your opponent off balance. It's such a big part of winning a war is keeping your opponent off balance. And these are ways to do that. Law 22, next up. Use the surrender tactic. Transform weakness into power. Surrender gives you time to recover, time to wait for their power to wane. So if you recognize that you're in some sort of duel with somebody, you play the long game. You step back and say, you know what? You've won the battle. In your mind, you're recognizing that they will lose the war. If 
you're in some sort of position and pride gets the best of you or honor, whatever it is. And you see that, hey, you know, I'm probably not going to win this, but I'm going down with the ship. Well, guess what? Now the ship is done. You can no longer set sail. But if you say, you know what? I lost and I took a lot of damage, but I'm going to go back to my harbor. I'm going to repair. I'm going to take the experience of what I learned and, uh, you know, establish myself through that and come back twice as strong with a deeper understanding of how to fight you the next time. That is the better thing to do. And so that's what the surrender tactic is about. You're defending your future plays. Instead of throwing it all in in one round, you're saying, okay, you know what? I'm giving it up and I'm going to keep what I have, even though I've lost most of it, so that I can build it back up more for the next time I come to you. Ah, let's see. Yeah, you never want to sacrifice long-term maneuverability. This goes into the infinite games concept and game theory, which I'm going to produce an episode about at some point. Just know that generally, as long as you're looking properly, what you can do in the long term will always outweigh what you can do in the short term. There's an Ethiopian proverb, when the great Lord passes, the wise peasant bows deeply and silently farts. So you're yielding, but it's with an understanding that you're going to come back twice as hard. Like, oh yeah, you're, you win, but I'm going to sleep though. <laughs> I'm going to come after you. I'm going to throw you to the sharks with a smile on your face. <laughs> you give it up so that you can get it back later wisely the essence of the surrender tactic is that inwardly you stay firm but outwardly you bend so think of a a tree a tree that has no give versus a tree that will be willing to sway the trees that sway are pushed around by the wind right and they may suffer some uprooting they may suffer you know a loss of leaves whatever But the tree that does not give it all, a hard enough gale can push it over, snap it. The tree is done completely by a strong enough gust of wind because it wasn't able to yield at all. The power behind surrender is that it gives you the time and flexibility to plot a devastating counter blow. So you're trading now for later. The reversal is martyrdom, which is a messy and inexact tactic, but it has the potential to ignite actions in others that may have otherwise subsided. So if you do surrender, everybody may lose all morale, right? But if you go out as a martyrdom, then others will be like, hey, you know, the the emperor really is doing us wrong like he doesn't care who like look how brutally he just killed that man who was you know yielding and was doing well (laughs) yeah generally though he says it's best to ignore this law's reversal leave martyrdom alone the pendulum will swing back your way eventually 
and you just need to stay alive to see it. Next up in defensive is concentrate your forces. Conserve your forces and energies by keeping them concentrated on a single point. I have this in every point. The gaining power, maintaining power, defensive way of defending power, and the offensive way of defending power. Law 23 is so key, and I've seen it come up in my own life as such a real thing that I've been able to experience its power and understand the wisdom of it in a way that's deeper than a lot of these other laws, you know, personally. And so I just recognize how truly powerful it is when I look back and audit my experiences of when was I most focused on something and how did it turn out versus when I was scattered, how did it turn out? And generally, I see this so clearly when I play board games. If I'm scattered, then I'll just get taken over one by one by one. And I can't even put up a fight. And in the meanwhile, I'm losing not only the territory, but my resources that I spent to try and defend it right? But if I have one or maybe two points that are just extremely strong, then I can be the person who bulldozes into other territories, takes other resources, or in life just gets my goals done. If I'm trying to do X, Y, and Z, oh yeah, and C and D as well, because I'm just like, I'm a hustler, I'm in the grustle mindset, right? Like grind and hustle, this whole thing. I'm just like in it, man then really I'm not going to get a lot of whole, I'm not going to get a whole lot done. And the things that I do get done, I'm not going to do them with a deep intensity or probably much focus because I know that like, okay, I have to do this other thing and I have to do the other thing after that. And then the other thing. So I'm just kind of going through it rapid fire, right? Versus if you have one or two points that you're totally focused on, you'll be able to engage in it deeply and to come out with a richer experience which you can reflect on and learn more from but also you speed up the time it takes to learn one skill right like if you have 10,000 hours before you're good or like great a master at some skill you if you want to play at a pro level you need those 10,000 hours right like if it's a sport if you're trying to hit your 10,000 hours for soccer for baseball basketball and water polo eventually you would get there right like if you were so dedicated and you put in the hours every day equally like say you put in three for each which is insane say you put in two for each eventually you would hit that right you would be really old but you would hit that versus if you just spent two four six eight all eight hours every day on one thing you're gonna hit the ten thousand hours so much faster and it's just going to be deeper. You know, you understand. I don't want to sit on this point. So I'm going to keep it going. Law 31 is control the options. Get others to play with the cards you deal. The best deceptions are the ones that seem to give the other person a choice. Put them on the horns of the dilemma and they are gored wherever they turn. Again, you're deceiving this is a large part of the defensive, is that you're making your opponent think one thing. Meanwhile, you are doing or preparing for another or you're setting up in preparation for their move while you make them think not the case. But in this instance, you're handing them a couple options and saying, you know what? 
like not even directly handing it to them. You're just putting it on the table nonchalantly. Like, oh, there's this, you could do that. Meanwhile, you have set up and you know that whichever choice they make, you'll bulldoze them. Whichever choice they make, they're done for. And the reason that this is powerful is because the attack will be that much more internalized. Because if a person is back against the wall and they recognize, fuck, I have to fight or this person's going to fight me or they're coming after me, I have no choice. Then if they lose, it's like, man, they really did me wrong. You know, they came after just me, nobody else. And they went after me so hard and like they gave no mercy, all these things. That's harsh. And that's how you get somebody who comes back wanting to enact revenge. The morale, the, you know, the spite, it's all there. It's so harsh and sour. But if you give somebody a couple choices for which they have no chance because you've set things up, you know, overtly, covertly rather, when they make their choice and you do what you have to do to take care of them, right? Take them out of the game. They will look at it and think, oh, you know, I did this to myself. They will think, oh, I'm so dumb. Why did I do that? Why did I do that? Right? And so the focus comes off of you and onto them. And rather than wanting to seek revenge, they just think, fuck. You know, like, oh my gosh, why did I do this to myself? Right? And so I hope you see the power there. The reversal is that, on the other hand, by limiting other people's options, you sometimes limit your own. Rothschild liked to observe their strategy and plan a more effective course. So if you funnel somebody into A and B, well, guess what? You now have to plan to defeat them in A and B. But if you let them choose between A, B, C, D, E, and they just gear more towards D and E, well, then you don't have to narrow yourself so quickly, you know, in the beginning to A and B when you ha- you can give yourself the room to maneuver and then when the time is right you'll have all the resources from doing what you need to do to near the end prepare for D and E and then you give them that choice of you know what they were already moving towards you just like fully funnel them into it or you just recognize it in such a way by you know the, all these other laws You don't even have to hand it to them. You let them walk into their own little trap. So there's two more here, and then I've got another nine for the offensive methods of defending your power. Next up on the defensive methods of how to defend is Law 44, which is the disarm and infuriate with mirror effect. The mirror reflects reality. Now, let me stop there. The mirror reflects. The mirror reflects. So it's another way to disarm. Again, you're putting your enemy off balance. A mirror is deceptive because it kind of entrains your opponent to see things a certain way, and it puts them in a little trance. So in communication when you mirror somebody you 
you like make yourself more familiar with them and you end up getting better deals. You have more positive interactions. Everything's just better if you kind of mirror the person you're talking to, uh, f- you know, physically, verbally, non-verbally, all these things. The more you do that, the more they see somebody who they like because you're like them, right? In war, doing so is like fighting fire with fire. It's... It's easy for somebody who fights with fire to prepare for an attack with water because they think, oh, I'm coming at them with fire. So what's the best way to defend? They're going to use water. So I've set up another attack for when they try and use water to deal with them that way. Where otherwise you come in and throw another flame into the mix and they're like, oh shit, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, this is crazy. I wasn't expecting this. I'm not prepared for it. I don't even know how, how to defend against this. But also, oh fuck, now there's two fires that have to be managed. Like, I was kind of relying on them to put out this fire with the water and then I was gonna counter blow, uh, but now there's two fires and like, uh, potentially we're both fucked. Like, I'm fucked, what's, heck, what's gonna happen, <laughs> right? So there's a lot of ways to go through all of this. One of the things as it relates to social is uh, Robert Greene says, everyone is wrapped up in their own narcissistic shell. When you try and impose your own ego on them, a wall goes up. So instead of trying to climb that wall or penetrate through the wall, only to find that there's another wall and another wall and another wall of resistance, You mirror somebody by showing them really what they want to see, which is somebody like them, kind of showing them like, you know, this type of person is the best and I'm that type of person. Uh, They give you the key. You can just walk through the front door. You don't have to climb some wall and then another or break through one and then another. They give you the key and say, come on in. I like you, you know, be with me here. (laughs) People are locked up in their own experiences. So your goal in power, one of them is always trying to lower people's resistances to you. The more somebody resists you, the harder it's all going to be. Imagine if like the moment you woke up from the moment you woke up, as you tried to get up out of bed, there was always somebody like pushing down on your chest. (laughs) you know and all throughout the day there's somebody who's like holding your ankles down as you're trying to walk or if you're trying to eat somebody just like has their hand over your mouth it just makes everything more difficult versus the opposite which is like imagine if the moment you woke up somebody was like there to give you a back massage and then you go into the kitchen to go eat and they're cooking you food right then and there right Now, it's not necessarily that they're doing that for you, but the less somebody has a resistance to you, the more likely they are to yield to you. And when we observe ourselves acting in that way, we double down psychologically on those actions. So there are these experiments. I'm kind of going off into another book very quickly or another piece of information I read in a book once, and I've seen it elsewhere, that humans are inclined to feel a certain way retroactively based off of how they act. So it's that idea of like, if you're sad, like you're sad because your body is sad, right? And if you want to be happy, it's not so much of like 
achieving this esoteric thing. It's just being happy. Like acting in such a way that you are happy and then your body will observe itself. Your mind will observe your body and all these things and say, oh, I'm doing these joyous things. I must be happy. Like, right? I'm smiling right now. So there must be something worthy of smiling about. And it's been shown. It's not just this concept. A lot of people hate on the idea of like, oh, if you're sad, just smile. But it's actually been shown that when you do these things, your hormonal profile changes. And that's huge. So when we observe ourselves do something, resist somebody, we double down psychologically and think, oh, I must not like this person because I resisted them. So even if the person does like you, if they have to tell you no, that no gets logged in to their like ledger book of interactions they've had with you. And it's like, okay, how's the balance now? Okay, we're still positive. But if they have to tell them no a couple more times and it's like, okay, let's check back in. What's the balance between yes and no now? Oh, it's more no's now. Oh, and then this is all unconscious. The mind's like, oh, maybe I don't like this person, right? And it's just happening to you. So the more you can get people to lower their defenses, generally also the more they will like you just by not resisting you and having like neutral or positive interactions, they will perpetuate that. And that's powerful. Christ himself understood that talking in parables is one of the best way to teach lessons for it allows people to realize the truth on their owns. Uh, not entirely sure how that relates, but I have it highlighted. So <laughs> this is from the authority. First, you are like a maiden so that the enemy opens his door. Then you are like a rabbit on the loose so that the enemy cannot keep you out. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. The reversal isn't a reversal. It just says a warning. Beware of mirrored situations. And so what that means is that you're probably going to get into some scenario where you are doing something and it seems just like something you've done before. And so you think, oh, I'm going to react or respond in this way because last time it played out like this. So I just need to do this and it'll take care of it all. Robert Greene is saying, watch out because that's going to happen to you. You need to recognize that not every situation is the same. You need to understand that you and your opponent are different. And also the context of things is different. The terrain is different. It's like the saying that you can never step in the same river twice. I'll let you figure that out. So that's it. That's how to defend your power for the, through, through defensive methods, which are more like passive and covert. Now, I'm going to move on to the other nine and keep it chucking and hopefully get through these fairly quickly. Now, I should say as well that for the defensive and also offensive is, of course, Law 48. You must be able to have a formless mode. And I've said it before in the other episode, so I'm just going to keep it moving along. And same for Law 23 in the offensive. I'll start with that one just by saying that, yes, it's included in the offensive I'd covered it, so I'm just going to move along. Next, law 15. Again, this is the offensive way of defending your power. Law 15 is crush your enemy totally. If one ember is left alight, no matter how dimly it smolders, a fire will eventually break 
out. So you can think of that like bacteria, right? Or, um, yeah, bacteria. Let's use that analogy. If you use some sort of spray that kills 99.9% of germs, right? Yes, you will get rid of your enemy, right? Like if you interact with that surface, you're probably safe. But you can't expect to stay that way. Even if there weren't new bacteria introduced, that 0.01% would be enough that it could remuster up its power and get to a point where it needs to fight you. And the visual that Robert Greene gives is perfect. You think, okay, uh, you know, I'm smoking a cigarette, I throw it on the ground, I step on it, and it's done for. But if you don't completely put out the flame, it could start a fire. Napoleon Bonaparte says, to have ultimate victory, you must be ruthless. The wisdom behind crushing the enemy is ancient as the Bible. Its first practitioner may have been Moses, who learned it from the God himself. When he parted the Red Sea for the Jews, then let the water flow back over the pursuing Egyptians so that not so much as one of them remained. When Moses returned from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments and found his people worshiping the golden calf, he had every last offender slaughtered. And just before he died, he told his followers, finally about to enter the promised land, that when they had defeated the tribes of Canaan, they should utterly destroy them, make no covenant with them, and show no mercy. So this lesson is deep, man. It shows up in the Bible. If you're going to crush somebody, crush them totally. The reversal is that it is better to let your enemies destroy themselves if such a thing is possible. So again, this relates to like the idea of giving somebody the options where you wipe them out. If you can let the enemy destroy themselves, all the better. All the better. In every way. <laughs> so next up is Law 28. Law 28 is interaction with boldness. I like this law a lot too. And it really applies to life. I put it in the gaining power episode as well. It's just, it's such a powerful thing. Uh, Timidness creates barriers and boldness obliterates them. You can see that in so many instances. And I noticed it especially when I started practicing and studying communication. Anytime I was timid about something, suggesting that something should happen, like, oh, can I have your number? (laughs) Or like, do you want to go get some pizza? (laughs) You know, versus like, let's get some pizza. Totally different, right? And so that's the power of entering action with boldness. If you're unaware of a course of action, don't attempt it. Everyone admires the bold and nobody honors the timid. If you hesitate, if you're timid, you're just going to put obstacles in your path. When you're bold, you blow right through them. When you take time to think, you create a gap that allows others time to think as well. Your timidity affects people with awkward energy too. So if you need a second to think, to figure things out, well, that also gives your opponents some time to think and figure things out. Versus if you're just like, go, go, go. If you're just cause, 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 they are effect, effect, effect. They're recipients of that energy and they have to react to it because it's just like, boom, boom, so so magnificent, powerful. They have no time to come up with a plan. They're just like, oh, this, right? So that's the power here. You are the cause and not the effect. 
there's a beautiful story that I'm going to skip over, uh, but it's the story of Hua Seng. <laughs> I'll just say that. <laughs> when you are timid in any way as well, you're infecting people with awkward energy. So part of the reason why people will reject you if you're timid, you know, they become an obstacle is that when you're awkward, you make other people feel awkward and they don't like that. So they just disengage. They're like, look, I feel weird. You're the source of it. So can you just leave? Right. But if you're just like, boom, 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 like, let's go, let's go have some fun. And they're like, oh, this is, I don't know. Like, I don't really know this person, blah, 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 blah. But they're like, they're cool about it. And I'm feeling weird, but and am I just acting like, am I just being weird? Okay. Yeah. Let's go. I guess. <laughs> right. Whatever. The expression of a shared feeling is always positive. Keep that in mind. Always powerful. If somebody is thinking something and doesn't say anything about it, they're going to keep thinking about it. If multiple people are that way, when somebody comes along and does finally say something, all those people are going to be like, yeah, yeah, I think so too. And they're going to get behind the person who is willing to say the thing. Now, here's the story between the boy and the nettle. And this illustrates really clearly this point. A boy was playing in the fields and got stung by a nettle. He ran home to his mother, telling her that he had but touched the nasty weed and it stung him. It was just your touching it, my boy, said the mother, that caused it to sting you. The next time you meddle with the nettle, grasp it tightly and it will do you no hurt. Do boldly what you do at all. How you do anything is how you do everything. So if you are bold in one thing, people will expect you and like create a story in their mind of you being bold in everything. And that's quite an attractive thing as long as it's not like a bombastic, you know, recklessness. Although there is a place for that. Reversal. Boldness should never be the strategy behind all of your actions. It is a tactical instrument to be used in the right moment. Plan and think ahead and make the final elements of the bold move that will bring you your success. Make the final element the bold move that will bring you success. So again, there's a time and place for being wild, crazy, just charging forward, dominating, but also not. Make a time for it. Understand context so that you can put it into place place properly. And generally, it's at the end. You just like give everything you've got. Slow, slow, fast, fast. Next up, I put a dash between these two, Law 29 and Law 47. And I think that's because they relate. So I'm going to say them both and then talk about them both. Law 29 is plan all the way to the end. Whereas law 47 is do not go past the mark you aimed for. In victory, learn when to stop. The timing is everything. By planning the end, you're going to know you will not be overwhelmed by circumstances and you will know when to stop. Key. The moment of victory is often the greatest peril. You know, it's intoxicating. Victor makes... Yeah, war makes the victor stupid and the loser bitter. 
or something like that <laughs> in bold. <laughs> to win is to get drunk in this way. I see it so many times when I observe games. You know, you can experience it in a lobby. Go play Call of Duty and lose to a team, and they're going to come back into the post-game lobby and be like, y'all trash, y'all trash, oh, y'all, y'all stupid, man. Oh, yeah, well, you try to do this, blah, 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 blah. And they just get, like, so talkative and, like, arrogant, right? And it makes the people who lost that much more bitter that they're goading them into the loss and, like, gloating about their victory. So when you plan all the way to the end, you create an entire timeline for how the whole battle's going to go, right? And that's important because you anticipate things. You can think things through beforehand, which will allow you to anticipate them, which will be less harsh psychologically when they do happen, but also to plan so that you can defend for it. You can anticipate and set yourself up so that you will actually do well against that sort of attack. When you plan to the end, you also plan the end point. And law 47 is don't go past the end point. Going past that point is dangerous. Going past that point is dangerous. So law 29 is a very offensive thing to do. It's like, I'm going to strategize this entire thing. I'm going to figure this all out and I'm going to, you know, get my pieces into place. Whereas Law 47 is much more passive. It's like, okay, you've done the work. Now just stop. The world, in the world of power, the ultimate sin is going part way and then leaving the door open. So if you don't have a plan, it's very easy for that to happen. And it's dangerous when that happens. If you go part way, you create this vacuum, right? And that's just, it's just not good. Not good at all. Um, yeah, let me finish 29 and then I'll go through 47. Nothing is more cru- critical in the maintenance of power. The person who goes too far in his triumph creates a reaction that inevitably leads to a decline. Again, How people perceive how the story ends is such a big deal because if somebody is defeated and everybody who witnessed it feels like the person who was defeated didn't deserve it or like was treated, you know, in such a harsh way, it just like it makes them now look at the other person and think you're a monster. Like, how could you do that? Versus if the person wins and it's like, I did just enough to maintain my safety, right? Like if I'm in a bar fight and I have a gun and I knock you out and you're unconscious, the threat is neutralized, right? Like nobody's going to be upset that I did that because, you know, I just had to defend myself. But if I then pull out a gun and shoot you and kill you, then everybody's going to be like, dude, what the fuck? Like you were good. You were fine. Why did you have to go further? And then you end up in jail or at the very least, you like lose all your friends, right? Uh, you're never allowed in that bar again, whatever. But if you do what you need to do and you put a period on the story in such a way that it's perceived well, that is very, very, very valuable. So the reversal for Law 29 is that most people lose less from overplanning and rigidity than from vagueness and a tendency to improve, com- improvise constantly. 
so there really he's saying there really is no reversal to this plan. You're better off having a huge like straightforward this is it plan than having no plan and just being like, "Oh, I'll figure it all out." <laughs> you know. He's making that point that you're better off having a full plan already set up that you're just going to stick to and go through the motions of. Um, yeah, I've got another story here, but I'm not going to go through it. I like these stories, but uh, I want to encourage you to read the book as well. There's nothing more intoxicating than victory. Just know that. When you attain a success, take a step back. Success plays some strange tricks on the mind. And if you feel vulnerable, will also making it makes you feel invulnerable while also making you more hostile and emotional when people challenge your power. So if you win, you've you've now used your resources to win, you've used your energy to win, you know, you used all these things to get the victory. But when you win is when you feel the best. So you're like, oh, I'm good, like. I am the king. I can defeat anybody. Bring it on. Meanwhile, you don't recognize like, oh, your ankle's fractured and your wrist is about to break. But here, here, you just invited another fight. Like, go ahead. You're the king, you know. Like, imagine if there was this uh, heavyweight championship, right? And somebody's fighting for the heavyweight title and they go five rounds with somebody. And at the very end of the battle... They win by TKO, right? And so it's like they're the new champ. They're the new heavyweight champ. They are declared the greatest heavyweight fighter to be alive at that time. That probably feels pretty amazing. Now, imagine if they had to fight the guy who's in third place, right? Because the guy who was in second just fought the guy who wasn't first, and now he's in first. And so there's this guy in the wings who's third place, and he's like, you know what? I want to be the champ. And so imagine immediately back-to-back having to fight this guy who's fresh, has all his energy, and you just gave everything. You're in pain. Your body's, like, suffering, right? You're not going to stand a chance. Even though you are the victor, you're not going to stand a chance. Yeah. Really. So uh, the reversal for 47 is, as Machiavelli says, either destroy a man or leave him alone entirely. You crush him completely or you do nothing. Play into the end. Crush them completely. So, like, if you're trying to kill Osama bin Laden, kill Osama bin Laden, right? Like, that's the main goal. Don't go on to nuke Iraq. You know, because then every other country is going to be like, oh, what the fuck, America? You know, like, what the fuck? Now we all need to stand against you and take you out. Like, we're all going to unite because you're crazy. (laughs) All right. So I've got four more laws here, and one of them is Law 48, so really just three. Exciting. Get to do it in under an hour this time. Hopefully. Law 35. Master the art of timing. Everything will come to you eventually. Learn to stand back when the time is not yet ripe and to strike fiercely when it has reached fruition. So when the time is right, when the time is right, you enter action with boldness. You concentrate your forces. You go all in. You crush your enemy completely. Napoleon Bonaparte says, space we can recover, time never. So part of having this whole plan, 
planning to the end is understanding when you need to make it happen, right? Like, you understand that at a certain point, you've got to hit the gas and go, go, go. Um, I'm not going to go too into them, but I'll just say that Robert Greene segments this whole chapter into long time, forced time, and end time. Essentially, long time is like playing a long-term game. Forced time is when you are the cause and they are the effect. So they just have to react. They don't even get a chance to respond. And end time is that point where you go all in, you give everything you got, you enter your action with boldness, you know, you just light it up. Your mastery of timing can really only be judged by how you work with end time. So Robert Greene is saying how you do and what you do, what you do with end time really tells the whole story of how good you are for this. He also says that there are, guess what, no reversals. You must master the art of timing. Consider that. No reversals. You must master the art of timing. Law 39. Stir up waters to catch fish. While staying calm yourself, put your enemies off balance. There it is again. You want to put your enemy off balance. The more off balance they are, the more energy, time, attention, resources they have to spend just to get balanced again. You know, reorienting yourself is one thing. Having to reorient yourself every day can be like probably exhausting, right? You won't even want to fight because you're like, I don't even know what's going on, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, getting them to act before they're ready, stealing the initiative. These are the best ways to do this. And to play on uncontrollable emotions of pride, vanity, love, and hate. So being the cause, then being the effect. Doing it first. Going for it first, having that initiative is so key because whoever, it's like chess or, you know, boxing, whoever takes the center of the stage has that advantage. They have the best positioning. And so if you just go first and take over that centerpiece, you're going to put yourself in a good position probably. So the image, a pond of fish. The waters are clear and calm, and the fish are well below the surface. Stir the waters, and they emerge. Stir it some more, and they get angry, rising to the surface, biting whatever comes near, including a freshly baited hook. Reversal. Some fish are best left at the bottom of the pond. Some people you don't want to mess with. Some people aren't fish. They're sharks, and you don't want to mess with them. So don't antagonize everybody <laughs> just because you heard that in Law 39, you're supposed to stir up the waters to set people off balance. Some people, you don't want to do that. Here's essentially the last law. Having already stated that Law 48, formlessness is huge. And again, formlessness is key because when you create a form for yourself, your enemy sees where they need to strike. Law 42. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Trouble can often be traced to a strong individual. You know, the leader of the tribe, the speaker of the house, whatever. It's the face of a movement, a face of a group. That person leads the charge 
more than just physically. It's like spiritual and psychological. If you kill the king, suddenly the entire kingdom is like, oh, what do we do? But in reality, like everything's still the same. You know, the army's still there. All the resources are still there. All the people still there. All the farmland, all the animal, like everything's still there. But if you kill that single point that's leading the charge, then the people are like, wait a minute, what do we do? We don't have a, like the king had the plan. We don't have the plan. We don't know the plan, <laughs> right? So it just falls apart from there. Uh, in relation, cancer begins with a single cell. So you need to exercise it, exercise it before it spreads beyond a cure. If there is somebody who's rising up trying to rally for a cause and cause trouble, you take care of them before they can get a band of folks together to come for you. People are going to congregate around a single strong personality. It's like planets orbiting around the sun. If somebody stands up and says, I'm this, this is this way, and we're going to do this, let's go. People who have no direction in life, people who aren't confident, all these things, they're going to gravitate to the person who is those things, and they're going to be on their team. So just understand that if somebody is rising up and making a name for themselves and, you know, starting an army to revolt, they will naturally magnetize anybody who is sympathetic to those ideas or that feeling that they're speaking of. A key element in games of strategy is isolating an enemy's power. So if you want to fight somebody, it's easiest to do so if they're segmented. Again, that's why the law of concentrate your forces is so key because you also have the greatest defense. The reversal, ending it here. Any harm you do to a man should be done in such a way that you need not fear his revenge, writes Machiavelli. If you act to isolate your enemy, make sure he lacks the means to repay the favor. So if you do that, if you get rid of the shepherd and you simply, you know, you can't kill them, right? Because in life you just can't do that. If you do it in such a way that you isolate your person... Like, say, there's this, there's this uh, competition going on, and it's like there's two teams. If you could do something where it's like, like, say there's blue, red, and yellow, and red is just in the lead. They're just, like, taking over, and yellow has been neutral. Blue could go to yellow and be like, listen, we want you to give a gift right, to disarm, we want you to give a gift to the red team, and it's going to be a tent with the most luxurious bed in it, and so as the leader of the red team, like the general of this amazing winning army team, they get their own special bed away from everybody else. Well, that disconnection is going to be powerful, because you're disconnecting the leader from the tribe, but also, if you need to strike like you say to them, okay, and then on the fourth night when he's laying in that bed, you, yellow team, and us, blue team, are going to charge in and we're just going to go straight for the king. We're going to take him hostage. It's so much easier to do that because he's not enmeshed with the crowd that he has rallied up, right? So that's it. 
That's it, motherfucker. That's the 48 Laws of Power. Holy shit, that's the most work I've done on any single book or, you know, thing. So, oh, wow, exciting. I'm glad to have this done. I'm glad that I was able to do it. I'm glad I have it out there. Uh, now I have to move on to the next Robert Greene book. Like I said, at some point, my goal for this year, one of them, is to produce a podcast on every single Robert Greene book. So if you've enjoyed this, please check out the other episodes of my podcast. Just peep the titles. You'll probably find one that you would be interested in. Uh, you know, it's all about health, wealth, and communication. And then there's these other books that are just super, super duper key. Robert Greene's being one of them. And, uh, you know, I'm just trying to put out the greatest information out there, man. So check it out if you haven't already. Check out my book, Rare Candy. It is a guide to health, wealth, and communication. It's only 70 pages, but it's a big book, so it probably ended up being like 100 pages, 110 or something. But, uh, yeah, it's very exciting. You know, by buying that, you help me mentally continue to produce these things. As much as I do them for myself and I want to do them, it's so much easier to continue to do so when I know that it is helping people and they're willing to reciprocate. So no pressure. I love that you're here. I'm so happy that you're even listening to these words now because it means you listen to the whole episode. So thank you so much. Next up for Robert Greene is going to be The 33 Strategies of War. I've got to read the whole fucking book. So don't know when that's going to be. I'm in between tons of books right now. I'm going to jump to other subjects in between. Next up, next podcast episode 33 is going to be my interview with Grit Colt. So tune in. Maybe just check out the next episode. Might already be out by the time you listen to this. Either way, thank you again. I appreciate you being here so far into this whole journey, this experiment, whatever. It's very exciting. It's been a good learning experience. If you want to make your own podcast, thanks for listening all the way through. Guess what? You can. I just record on my phone. I edit it in a video editing app. And then I take it over to Anchor, app called Anchor. You upload the MP3, you kind of put in the information, and then it sends it to every single podcast streaming service that's like in the top tiers, right? So I am able to get these things onto Spotify, Apple, you know, Google, I think, all of them totally free, and you can too. I encourage it. I'm enjoying myself because I've done this in under an hour. <laughs> Anyways, thanks again. This is it. Finally, peace out. Appreciate you.